0: Did purity culture fail the church? What does it really mean to walk in purity as a Christian? Is it just to be straight? Is it just to not look at porn? Is it just to be married? What is it? Today, we have an expert on this topic. We've got a Christian author and ER doctor, Alina Abu-Jamra. She is here to talk about her latest book on this subject and uh, to discuss this from the perspective of someone who is 51 and single and who has learned what it really means to walk in sexual purity and holiness before the Lord, whether you are single or dating or engaged or married. It's a really interesting conversation. You'll find that she has a A lot to say, and she's so smart that I had to really make sure that I was keeping up with every point that she's making. This is probably an episode that you're going to have to listen to a couple times just to make sure that you're taking in all of the points that she makes. Uh, Before we get started on it, I just wanted to remind you, too, that uh, we've got amazing mugs for sale. These are great for a Christmas gift, or maybe if you're just uh, someone who loves coffee or tea and you want your relatable mug, we've got our Do the Next Right Thing. We've also got a Raise a Respectful Ruckus." This uh, is great for our Related Bros or our Related Bells. Lots of great merch from now until Christmas. Uh, it's all 25% off. Go to AllieMerch.com. You can use promo code ally 25 for 25% off all of our merch. I also just want to remind you guys, this is our last... Uh, our, our last time that we're filming uh, before the end of the year. We do have new episodes that will be coming out over the next three weeks, but we're not going to have our normal four episode a week cadence going on. The Relatable team is going to take a break, but we've got some great interviews coming out that you will definitely, uh, that you'll definitely want to catch over this break. And of course I'll be on Instagram and all that good stuff. All right. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to goodranchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's Good Ranch chairs.com code Allie. Lena, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I really appreciate well, it. I'm
1: really happy to be here. It feels so Christmassy.
0: In the- yes, I know. We've got all our decorations. Um, okay, for people who may not know, can you tell us who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, uh, the hardest obstacle is saying my last name. It's Abu Jamra. So right away, people want to know where I'm from. Uh, and I grew up in Lebanon. I'm Lebanese, and then I now live in Chicago. My family moved, though, when I was a senior in high school to uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, so I'm a Midwest girl through and through. I came to Christ, uh, I'm a Christian, I came to Christ as a child, grew up in the church in Lebanon, in, a, mm. in, in, in an environment very much similar to what an American kid would grow up in church. We had an American pastor, we were part of the Christian M- Missionary Alliance. So I think my upbringing was very much influenced by, let's mm. say, the American church culture. Mm. Uh, when we moved to, well, I was a senior in high school when we moved, and I ended up um, sort of uh, you know, jumping into... You know, imagine going from Green Bay, you know, from Lebanon to Green Bay and sort of all of that. And within a year of going to to high school, graduating, made a decision to go to a Christian college, which was sort of a in some ways, a big deal in my family. My dad was a doctor. And so there was, as a Lebanese, and I think anybody who watches this show who has friends from other cultures, there's a big push to, you know, higher education. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is because when you grow up in war, Lebanon had a civil war during my upbringing for pretty much my entire life. Yeah. There's a sense that the only escape you have is not going to come from government. It's not going to come from, uh, you know, the American dream. Nobody else has that concept. And so really education is the path to getting out of, a war torn country. Mm. And so we were very much pushed. My mom was a pharmacist. Interestingly, my mom is a Palestinian refugee from back in the 40s. And mm. uh, they moved to Lebanon. And so I didn't really grow up under my mom was very integrated in the Lebanese way. Uh, so I never really understood growing up what she had gone through, but you know, but she also had been highly educated even as a ref, you know, a person who had escaped, you know, their place and and she was the one who came to christ in college and so again very Mm. much deeply my mother Converted dramatically. Yeah. And she was immediately deep in the word of God. Okay. So I grew up with an example of a mom who was highly educated. And back I mean, remember, I grew up in the I was born in the 70s, and so she was a you know product of the 60s, but very focused on God's word, very educated, very loving of God's word, very loving of God. I mean, Jesus was became the center of her life. And so that was sort of the voice in my head growing up, the emphasis of our teaching. You know, so moving to the US from a spiritual perspective was not hard, Mm. but Culturally, obviously, a completely different world. So I ended up going to a pretty conservative Christian college. um, Very conservative. Very. And, and, you know, primarily because my pastor in Lebanon had gotten a degree there. And Mm. my mom had, had insisted that I apply to one Christian college. And remember, I'm off the boat. like. I, I actually graduated from college early. I was sixteen when I graduated from college. Wow! So I you're sixteen it. when you graduated I, yes. from college? Yes. Oh my goodness! It's not that I was so smart. I, people always want to know how Lebanese start school a year earlier, but then they end up going to college like they skip a year. They start as a it's a it's it's the baccalaureate system. It's all a mess. So everyone is a little younger going to college, and I skipped kindergarten. So wow. I can't draw, but. It's, you know, but in all of (laughs) that, I, that I, I kind of accommodated my mom, but had no intention of going to a Christian college. But really that summer at camp before college, the Lord really dealt... Very much, I had a very deep encounter with him. I, I would say I was definitely saved before from a knowledge. I mean, you know, you grow up in the church, it's sort of there's a sense of I know who Jesus is, I've received him into my heart, I remember asking him into my heart, but something happens when you uh, become of age. I think every person who grows up in a Christian home has to understand sort of beyond, oh, this is my mother's faith or my dad's faith, to I really now understand who Jesus is and want to follow him. And I think that was sort of the beginning of what I now consider my calling to what I do now, which I ended up going to medical school. And uh, in my fellowship, I, I went to med school and became a doctor and specialized in pediatrics and then decided to do a fellowship in pediatric emergency medicine. And it was that transition from pediatrics to pediatric ER where I felt God's call to teach the Bible. And that grew out of a sort of a crisis of faith related to uh, actually dating and, and and marriage concepts. I had been a very good girl growing up. You know, again, I'm Lebanese. We're born and, you know, I was grew up in a sort of fundamentalist circle. And though I was not growing up aware of what the purity culture was, is, you know, we certainly grew up with this understanding of the Christian way, which was... Up until recently, I think I would say was very obviously sex before marriage was wrong. Right. You know, a man and a woman ought to marry and, and and be together for life, you know, that this was a covenant that God gave. And and even though I didn't expect people who don't follow Jesus to abide by those things, up until very recently, I would say it was sort of assumed that if you grew up in the church and you uh, gave your life to Christ, whether you did it as a child or later on, that those were basic assumptions that you could gather from reading the Bible, you right. see? And so, so, so that's, that was my background. So I go sort of, I was this obedient child who wanted to do God's will. I had given my life to Christ as a child, kind of dedicated my life at camp, went to a Christian college and and, and, and really embraced the teachings of Jesus. And yet, you know, and, and we'll get to the content of the book in a second, obviously had some, you know, as a teenager with hormones and, and all of the things, but but really believed by conviction in certain ways of life. And then when I went to residency, that was the first time I dated somebody seriously. And it was a- And how old are you by the
0: time you go to I, residency? I graduated,
1: good question. I was 20 when I graduated medical school. Okay. But now- Oh
0: my goodness, I'm still- No, sorry, 24,
1: I, 24. Okay. 20 college, 24 medical school.
0: Okay, you graduated from college when you were 20. At 20.
1: 20 I okay. went straight through. So you
0: graduated high school when you were 16. 16. College,
1: 20. Okay. So so now, like, it's funny because, yeah. you know, my my nieces and nephews are in their late teens now, early 20s, and sometimes, like, family members will be like, oh, they're growing up. They're going to be on their own. Are they able to, like, do a cross-country drive? Yeah. Or, and I'm always like, man, I was seeing patients when I was, you know, 21, like, you know, like you were pretty much, I mean, in the throes of things. And so, but, but then fellowship gave me, so I did residency for three years and fellowship for three years. And in residency was my first, um, I'd say I didn't date much in high school. Understandably, I was young. We moved in college. Same. I went to a very strict college and that was, you know, touted to have pink and blue sidewalks, although it's not true, but that's the rumor. And 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 this is in South
0: Carolina. This is in South Carolina. They did kind of segregate men and women. That's what you were talking about.
1: They did, yes. And yes, it's a well-known college for that Mm -hmm. and it won't take long to figure out where I went. But uh, I'm not ashamed of it, actually. I find it kind of funny with the way that my life has transpired. But in uh, residency, my dad, who again, I grew up in a Lebanese home, with a Lebanese father who um, came to Christ midway through his life. So he was in his early 50s, I think, when he gave his life to Jesus. Mm. And he, um, but whether you were a Christian or not, in our home, you couldn't date till you became a doctor. It was unspoken, it was spoken, it was sort of like, you know, I don't know what would have happened if we did, but none of us tried to, you know, fight that. And so again, that sense of patriarchal, you know, um, uh, culture was there, you know, and yeah. by the way, a lot of Americans had a similar way back in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. I think that definitely the Western world is ahead of the Middle Eastern world in some of those, you know, more you know, the way that we think about things now. But, but nonetheless, I, 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 I hit the ground running when I started dating. So I literally met a guy, started dating seriously and got engaged within like a nine month period. That's fast for someone who hasn't dated mm-hmm. a lot before, mm-hmm. uh, which, I mean, you hear stories about people who meet and get married like two months later. It's not that unheard of, but I hadn't dated a lot. And and so two weeks before the wedding, we ended the relationship, mm. mutually. Um, and But the backdrop of that was that there was this person in my life who was my best friend for 10 years, all the way from Christian college, that I sort of always assumed I would end up with. Mm. And I felt like he always waited for years, and whether it was in my mind or not, by the time I got engaged, ended the engagement, realized sort of what I was going on in my own life and heart he had already moved on but you can't blame a person i mean the person gets engaged in, but it was like one of those you know you we all grew up watching romantic comedies and movies and and you 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 know all those high school movies where the guy eventually you know comes around and yeah. i kept waiting thinking yeah. this was god's will it's for like, me
0: what is that my best friends all of them you can wedding. come up with probably <laughs> 10 of them that's just right there's yeah. so many
1: of them but but the worst part and i think this is why this is relevant to our conversation today is that i think there is this undertone of what I think at the time, you know, now we look at it and go, oh, you were so caught up in a purity culture, but sort of the sense, even as I, I ended the engagement and waited on God, I had this sense because I felt like God had spoken to me about certain things. And that was one of them, that God would bring that friendship to marriage. And that ended up messing me up. That was probably my first mm. crisis of faith because he ended up um, moving on and I didn't see God fix that, bring him back around, right. cause us to get married. And I had, and this is the important thing, I had been, quote unquote, pure. Now, you could argue what is purity. Yeah. I hadn't been with a guy, even engaged. We hadn't had crossed any lines uh, of that. I mean, we were physical to the extent that, that one can be respectably, respectably, but I felt like I had honored the Lord to the best of my ability. Yeah. And so it felt like God had you know, sort of that lie of the purity culture, which is this concept that if you do your part, God is going to do his Mm. and his part being the American dream of Hollywood, marriage, you know, love, all that. Mm -hmm. And so I had a crisis of faith in my fellowship in that season where I felt like I couldn't trust God fully. The output of that was that the Lord healed that area and i felt out of it i started teaching a bible study and felt called to ministry Mm. and so i started this this was early 2000 so 23 years ago and i started this path of doctoring but also of writing about god and faith And in that, you know, and I thought, and as many of us who are Christian might think, you know, we are told all things work together for good and, you know, God redeems the past. And for years, I thought like, oh, God was redeeming even this broken, you know, relationship that I thought would amount to something. I thought, well, okay, this broken, God is using it. We always, we humans always want a, a cause effect, right? And in the Christian world, we are really trained for that. And so we want explanations for everything. And we want to decipher God and decipher him now. And so I sort of started this ministry with this undercurrent of, well, God took away that relationship, but he's now using it in ministry instead. Hmm. You see? So it sort of justifies the pain in your life. Yeah. And so for years, I sort of understood this is, now I had the better good, which was I'm given my life to teach the Bible. So they would ask me to do conferences, I would write, started a blog about God. Eventually by 2012 or 13, I wrote I wrote. a book and the Moody publishers asked me to write it. They asked me to write on singleness. I would have never written on that. Who wants to spend their life being like a poster child for singles books? And by then I still wasn't dating. I had been engaged a second time and ended the engagement. And so all of this background uh, eventually led to a couple of years after my first book, no, actually the the summer my first book came out, um, I ended up having a big debacle in my own church where by now I was well into my practice in pediatric emergency medicine and I was leading the woman's ministry at my church and that church ended wow. up blowing up imploding mm. and it was because of abuse of power and leadership mm. and it was very well known in Chicago there's been two big church implosions of recent times I was at the first and then I ended up going to the second and, and both ended up imploding. So I was joke, like, if a pastor saw me walking into their church, like, be careful. I yeah. don't know what could happen here. But really that church breakup was probably the, it's funny because... Out of all of the hurt that I felt I had had in my life, two broken engagements, you know, the lost relationship, all of this stuff, that church breakup was probably the most painful event in my life. Mm. That was in 2013. And then I I ended up writing about it by then, by 2016, 17, maybe 18, uh, my book Fractured Faith came out where I, I would look back and say I deconstructed. Now, yeah, tell us and, about that. Well, I, I think, you know, it, it, how, did, how did I deconstruct? I think you can see even what I've told you my story so far, there was a lot of premises that I had embraced in the Christian faith that were not biblical. Mm. There were a lot of ideas that I had formed about God that were based on the American dream.
0: Right. And Would the, you say it had been influenced by the prosperity gospel? hundred percent. That if I
1: do this, I, I'm going to reap? A hundred percent. Right. I think, uh, my, my, I grew up in churches that were, 180 degrees opposite of the prosperity gospel in word. Hmm. And indeed, to a certain, financially, to a certain extent. But even that, I would say, that's not, even that is not true. Mm. So that big church that imploded, I think, had heavily bought into the prosperity gospel while teaching against the cross prosperity message. Mm. And I think the purity culture. So when you talk about purity and issues related to sexuality and holiness in the Christian world, I think the greatest lie that the, the, the conservative, non-charismatic evangelical, like when you really sum up what is what was the fault of the purity gospel, yeah. p- purity culture, and you can call it the purity gospel, whatever you want to call it, is that it's a heavily prosperity-driven message. Mm. It, it is a you're prosperity right. gospel. It is. You're it's totally basically right. saying, if I don't have sex before I get married, I'm going to have an amazing husband, or you know, if you're a guy and wife, and we're going to have an amazing sex life. No one mm-hmm. says it, but everybody assumes it. And so, so many people who have waited end up getting married, and I think have horrible sex lives at the early onset because they've never done it. Mm. everything takes practice and and or even if they have good sex lives after a while, it fizzles as all relationships grow in different ways and and then you sort of wake up and go, you know what did I, did I really marry this person? And so then you have this crisis of A, I mean, we see it, we've seen it as of in the last 20, 30 years, I'd say in the church where divorce has become acceptable. I remember growing up, it was a big deal when people divorced. And now it's like, it's nothing. I mean, and I'm not. This isn't an indictment against divorce. Jesus makes space for divorce, and you know certain times like adultery, and and anybody even then, I think there's sh- should be some valid attempt at but but you're given an out of marriage in that biblically, but it's become where no one even thinks about it anymore. Okay, quick pause to tell you about our first sponsor
0: for the day. That is, of course, Good Ranchers. You should give the gift of American meat. This. Christmas. All of their meat is from American Farms and Ranches. It's really high quality. I'm telling you that as someone who has been eating pretty much exclusively Good Ranchers meat for the past few years. We love it in our house. We've got a freezer full of Good Ranchers, pre-marinated, not pre-marinated chicken. We've got all different cuts of steak, ground beef one part of our meal is accounted for every night and we can trust that it's really high quality and that we are supporting those American farms and ranches every time we eat Good Ranchers. Plus, we're supporting a Christian conservative company. We know the family that owns Good Ranchers. They are awesome people, people that you want to support, people that you can trust. Go ahead and subscribe. Get that box of meat to your front door every month. It'll end up saving you money. It'll also just save a headache. You don't have to worry. I haven't I haven't shopped for meat in a grocery store in such a long time and it's honestly just such a relief. Makes our life a lot easier. You can get an extra 15% off your order with my code Allie and get 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go to goodranchers.com, code Allie for that discount. Goodranchers.com, code Allie. I grew up in what I would call the conservative uh, purity culture too and I think that there are some Good aspects of it, of course, teaching that you shouldn't have sex before marriage. That was, I just knew in my head, that was stuck in my head do not have sex before marriage. But there is more to purity than that. And we stay pure to glorify God, not to just.
1: Reap well, your
0: husband when you're 22 years 100%. old. 100. You haven't even. I
1: mean, we haven't even started talking about this most recent book. Yeah, 100. I, I the, the the problem with with what's happened now in 2023 with purity cultures. You can almost you can almost not talk about purity anymore mm-hmm. in the context of when I say Christianity. I mean evangelicalism and the local church because if you say the word purity, there's this pressure of especially under millennials and under, to shut you up because it's like, don't talk about purity because they automatically associate that with purity culture. So the word, people want to avoid the word, I find. And so words like virgin is a stigma now. It's a Mm. shame. There's more shame in the evangelical world with being a virgin than there is with, being sexually active before marriage. In fact, the statistics support that. So my most recent book You
0: think in the evangelical yes, world? Yes. Wow. I do think so.
1: And I think well, a, one person who's written extensively about this is David Ayers. He's one example of many, but he's a he's a professor from Grove called Grove City and and I in fact I am intrigued by his data and he's put it out there. He has a book out there, but also you can find his work in articles and uh, I be, uh, let me just pull it up so I don't so I don't lie about it but as an example this study he did between he surveyed about five thousand evangelical protestant people who considered themselves you can even say in the fundamentalist background from 2014 to 2018 which i think is relevant because i think sexual promiscuity has expanded from 2015 mm-hmm. onward for a number of different reasons and the type of sexual sin that we talk about in the church has changed in the last five years but um again for a number of reasons but but he says he found that 89% of men and 92% of women in that context had at least one opposite sex partner in the past five years.
0: Wow.
1: Okay, 89% of men, 92% of women, that is... Shocking! Think about that. that. Is and he, then he, he says, as young as eighteen to nineteen, and you'll go over. He looked at. He teaches at the college. A lot of you know students from a Christian college, and he goes on to say the Gospel Coalition has interviewed him. You can also find his his interview there recently. And he and he also talks about not just that they're sexually active, and once they're sexually active with one partner, then the statistics of them being sexually active with more than three over time is huge. But also the type, what you define as sexual intercourse, they might say, well, I've never had sexual intercourse, but then the openness to oral and anal and other other forms. He, he, he himself says how it's, parents would be horrified mm. if they understood what that teenage generation and the younger generation would consider acceptable I- again, right. while you're still not having sex, so to speak, how does that relate to 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 me? And and you know, because I initially started to write a book that I called. Um, originally, it was supposed to be funny, but I initially called it "Eggplants and Peaches." It was meant to be tongue-in-cheek, and and then the subtitle was a sexual memoir of a 50-year-old virgin. And it was evident after floating it a little that people couldn't handle. Not just people, Christians couldn't didn't want. The the association with someone being a 50-year-old virgin, it was a stigma. It was a shame. To this day, I had a lot of moms tell me, their 20-year-old daughters don't want to be thought of as virgin at 20. It's like we're living now in a world where it's, it's a bad thing to be a virgin. And yet that, again, growing up, reading the Bible and understanding the Bible, even without big commentaries, I never had trouble in my own life and mind understanding that there was a certain conduct sexually that... If you believe the Bible, mm-hmm. you ought to abide by it, right? I mean, this notions now that when I go speak at colleges now, and I have I have people who who will come up to me and say, "Man, you know, I, you know." I had one kid tell me recently at a college that he had come to Christ and and he had made a decision to to save himself till marriage. And his father, who claims to be a Christian, challenged him and was very ho- horrified by the fact that he wanted to save himself for marriage, and said, "The Bible doesn't teach that. Show me in the Bible where it says you can't have sex before marriage." So this concept now of you can't have sex before marriage is thought to be purity culture. Mm. So now you're right. There is a, a mix up of thought between what purity is biblically, what mm-hmm. holiness is, and why it is asked, you know, why Christ has asked us to pursue that path. And I would say God, but I would even say Christ, because I think a lot of people think, well, you know, purity culture is so Old Testament, mm. and so they want to unhitch Old and New Testament. Mm. But in fact, it is, it's very much a Christian, I mean, read the red letter words yeah. of jesus in you know you don't even need to get past like chapter 10 you know you get to sermon of the mount which is one of the first things that you read about jesus and you can see that he holds to a very um, um a strict let's say uh, value and now you could you know, again you, we can dig through through that but what he holds christians to what he holds humans to is is undoable and the whole point was that his sacrifice was needed, right? Because the, the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is that it's not just the law. It's not just, okay, you can't kill someone. You can't have sex before marriage. You can't, hey, you know, on and right. on the 10 commandments. But now he moved it to, if you think it in your mind, yeah. so are you. right? So that none of us can read Jesus and go, yeah, you know, I don't think Jesus cared about your sexuality. He had a stricter code than the Old Testament. right? But the point was that none of us could achieve it.
0: Okay. Let me tell y'all about relief band. I've had three kids. I know how that first trimester nausea goes. It can be totally debilitating, or maybe you have nausea for different reasons. You get motion sickness, you get nervous when you travel, or maybe you're going through something like chemotherapy. You know, the nausea associated with that. And maybe you're a more holistic person. You don't want to take another medication that can alleviate your nausea. You should try relief band. This is a complete game changer. My sister-in-law has used relief band she gets motion sickness and it really helped her. It's a band that you put on your wrist. It stimulates a nerve that communicates to your brain to then tell your stomach to stop getting nauseous. So you can get your life back by using relief band and alleviating that nausea in a totally drug-free way. You don't have to worry about any side effects. So this is a great natural way to make you feel better and allow you to do the things that you need to do without getting sick. Go to reliefband.com. Use promo code Allie for 20% off plus free shipping. R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com. Use promo code Allie for 20% off plus free shipping. Reliefband.com code Allie. It wasn't just that, hey, if you uh, commit adultery, you're an adulterer. It's if you look at a woman lustfully, you are the same as an adulterer. If you hate someone. Think about how
1: many people have we quote unquote, murdered. I mean, yeah. it's easy to point fingers at people who are sexual sinners in a bad way or who are murderers in the, and be but like, well, I've but never done that. That's such
0: a good point because you do hear a lot, especially from deconstructionists and like people who are consider themselves more progressive, that the Old Testament God cared about the law. And in the New Testament, Jesus didn't care about the law as much and that people sometimes make the mistake of saying the reason why Jesus chastised the Pharisees is because they cared about the law. But what you're saying is that no, is that they didn't care about the law enough. They didn't fully understand that the law was supposed to seep all the way down to our hearts. So Jesus actually re-emphasized and emphasized further the importance of obedience to God all the way down to the heart level.
1: Yes, and Proved that none of us can do that, right? And because of that, we need him. So he right. was the fulfillment of the law, and that because then he went to the cross. Now, this, the upside of it is you could say, "Well, great, then if Jesus did the work, then I don't have to do anything." And that's a misunderstanding of grace. That's Paul's premise in Romans six, where he says, "Shall I continue in sin that grace may abound?" God forbid! Right? That's a whole cheap grace. If you don't read the Bible, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I mean, you can you can that yeah. doesn't make sense logically. Grace is to compel us to obedience Correct. and 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 purity out of a belief and a faith that has changed you, not purity as a means to use God, to give you the things that you want. Mm. You see, there's a difference. It's not that purity is wrong. So so fine, you can play around words, as we like to do in our culture now. So you don't want to call it purity culture. You can call it holiness. You don't want to call it holiness. You, you know, you can play around words, but the reality is that, you know, what is the will of God in First Thessalonians? Well, it's your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. So now we have, you know, modern, whether you want to call them progressives or not, because it used to just be the progressives. But now even in the conservative evangelical world, we have people splitting hairs and going, well, the word pornia means this and not that and why you know you don't need a phd to understand the bible yeah like i've talked to people who are muslims in lebanon who have given their life to jesus who some are illiterate and hear it and they can still read the bible and understand in the new testament that there is a desire for holiness let's say that includes and that fornication means premarital sex as an example which again we've parse things out so much now over words we can't even understand each other anymore now how 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 does that like okay these are all how do we go from deconstruction to to my story and being hurt by god and crisis you know understanding god's goodness to well i think um i wrote the book about sex which is the reason i'm here and and by the way i think this conversation about sex is at the forefront of every christian's mind but We don't think we're like, you can look at my book and, 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 and not understand. here's, here's how we want to think about sex in the evangelical world. Now, gay sex is wrong. Transgenderism is wrong. And, and it's so easy to make sexual sin about that, Mm -hmm. that we miss the log in our own eye, eye right? And so, and so I told you the statistics of, you know, the kids who are growing up in the church who are sexually active, you could argue, they may not know the Lord yet. Honestly, there's this assumption, I mean, the whole concept of deconstruction, I mean, there's this assumption that every kid that grows up, grows up in church knows Jesus. Well, we don't know that for a fact. If you grow up in church and you've received Christ and you have a sensitivity of the spirit in you, reread read the Bible, you you move to want to live like Jesus would move, it w- it wanted you to, to to and 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 you're coming to the Word of God with the humility. I think that there's a natural desire to live a certain type of life that is at immense odds with the American culture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so and so you look at like and so it's easy that but it's easy been easy in the last few years to make the bad people in the church, let's say, or the bad sinners in the church, the gay community. Mm-hmm. Because, and so you can even yeah. look, if you're a parent, you can even look at your own kids and be like, well, yeah, they may be having sex with their boyfriend. Or, but at least they're not gay. And, yeah. and they're going to get yeah. married next week. So it's okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: And, and, but, but, but further, right. further, further, I don't want to, you know, throw stones because you can say, well, what about you? Again, why am I writing a book about sex? I'm a 51 now year old virgin. Because again, you go back to what Jesus says sex isn't just about an act between a man or woman or two men whatever you want to define it sex is is a desire for an emotional connection and sex starts here in the mind Mm. if it starts in the body then we're just animals Mm. animals don't have a soul soul so to speak if you have a dog or a cat you probably disagree with that but but in general pets don't you know some are smarter than others but they get through March, and if you go to Turkey in March, the cats are in heat. You cannot ask the hotel to shut the cats up. They are all over the town. They idolize, they think of them as gods, and you will hear cats mating in the middle of the night. It's horrifying. That It, it is. It's terrible. horrifying, and, and they, but they love it because they are like, like this animal that they've elevated to a point of a god. But, but, wow, but they're animals. They just go at it. You, you know, we're not animals. Sex is a is a is a is a connection between again what God has ordained between a man and a woman in Genesis. And so and so to talk about sex without understanding the why 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 does a virgin struggle with s- sexuality with shame with you know you're a virgin you shouldn't have any guilt you haven't broken the law but again remember what Jesus says and Jesus doesn't put these. These, he, when he talks about your mind and your heart and what you think, so it's, what a man th- thinks in his heart, so is he. While he's not saying, oh, now you got to be perfect. He say, like, I think even Jesus is trying to, to, to make the point of, it's, it's a whole it's, it's, what is it that we worship? And I have observed that in the United States of America, at least, I think probably you could argue other countries. But in the U.S., let's stick to that, where I've grown up most of my life since I was 15. Um, we have made of sex an idol. Mm. Without it, we cannot be happy. Without great marital sex, it can't be a good marriage. If you're, you know, again, you go back to you're a virgin, that's the worst thing that could happen to you. What about Jesus? He didn't have sex. He was 33. He died. He was a virgin. Do you see what I'm saying? So we've sort of confused ourselves. And it used to be that... That the world, you know, when I say the world, people who don't follow Jesus. Let's just do the Christian world. Christian term would be the world versus the church, right? And so we used to sort of think, well, you know, people who don't believe Jesus. I understand, you know, if I I always used to say growing up, if I wasn't a Christian, I would probably live with a guy. It's pragmatically easier for me, you know what I mean? Like I'm independent. I'm a doctor. I'm ER. You know, come and go as I please all day. But I'm not. I've given my life to Jesus, and in that context, there is a daily decision to be made as to. Where is the source of my greatest joy? Hmm. And I think everything, whether it's gay sex or straight sex or marriage or singleness, porn viewers or non-porn viewers will have to decide that day by day by day. If you are looking to donate
0: to a good cause this Christmas season, then you should check out Preborn. their network of clinics across the country, uh, is saving lives every day. They offer free resources to parents who are in crisis, um, with a, with a surprise pregnancy. A lot of these women don't know how they're going to take care of their children. That's why a lot of them consider abortion and they don't really know what the abortion procedure is. They've never heard the heartbeat of their child. Well, Preborn changes that when you walk into a Preborn clinic, uh, they love you, they serve you, they counsel you, they talk to you, they tell you the truth about what abortion is, about your life inside uh, your womb. They give you a free sonogram where you're able to see that child developing, hear the beating heart. But all of this costs money to offer these resources for free to these moms. And so they rely on our donations to do that. The cost of a sonogram is $28. If that's all you can donate today, or if you can't even donate that, if you donate less than that, that's okay, too. Just donate your best gift to Preborn. You can literally save lives by doing that. All you have to do is dial pound 250, say the keyword baby, then you can donate securely or you can go to preborn.com slash Allie and donate that way. That's preborn.com slash Allie, preborn.com slash Allie. You're right with the kind of level of depravity that we see today or just it seems like the modern forms of depravity that we see which of course are just they're they're kind of repackaged immorality and sin that we've seen all throughout history i'm talking about gender bending homosexuality these things in one way or another have always existed but they do seem new to our american culture and so you're right there is a temptation i think for christians to say well, that's real sexual yeah. sin. That's real depravity. That's real iniquity. Right. That's real perversion. But lust, um, a man lusting after a woman, is that really a big deal? Um, you know, an engaged couple sleeping together, is that really a big deal? Exactly. At least it's not these other things. Uh, but you're right. Going back to the word of. Jesus, he is saying that it goes all the way down to the heart. And I don't think people could see, most people, Christians included, would look at someone who is a 51-year-old virgin Christian and say that it's even possible for you to be in sexual sin. But you're saying that it goes all
1: the way down to the heart and mind. Well, I i mean, you can read my book and see that it is very possible to be in sexual sin. And I... I I describe it to the nth degree. You could argue why. And I did it intentionally. First of all, by conviction of God, nobody wants to write things that are personal and painful unless you have a calling, I'll call it, whether you believe in God or not, there's a sense of calling when you write. And for the Christian, I think to write about things that might be shameful, uh, you have to, you know, of course the path to freedom is by dealing with your shame. And I think there's a completely different way of dealing with shame if you follow Jesus or you don't. Everybody has shame. The question isn't whether we have shame. The question is, what do we do with our shame? Shame came into the world through Adam and Eve. We know that from the Word of God. And so I felt like there's been a lot of books that talk about sex from a, here are the right things and here are the, from a sexual ethic perspective, you know, but we know that. Now, granted, in the last few years, I think we act like we don't know it. Right? So we have people now saying, well, does the Bible really teach this or that? Or, you know, and and I think, I think we've lost the ears of people who aren't in the faith because we pick and choose what we want the bible to say whether you, wherever you fall in the spectrum of christianity you don't have to be a fundamentalist you can be a progressive like we try have these discussions amongst ourselves which which begs the question i mean this whole thing you know me being here today came out of you had posted something that andy stanley has done but andy stanley is a great example i mean we you know to, he's been a public example of someone who has sort of done that where you try which which i mean i've read enough about him to understand that he comes from a very similar background to mine in some ways um and And believes in some ways from, again, from what I understand from recent articles that he wrote in a biblical, like a straightforward biblical, he said he believes this is what homosexuality falls under. And this is what, you know, marriage is. And this is what, you know, he's made these statements that I agree with. But yet the way that he presents himself is by sort of questioning the word of God, at least publicly, Mm -hmm. which is extremely confusing. And so I think somebody put on Twitter recently and that I took a picture of and i felt like was such an easy way to sort of follow a pattern that I think has become very common in the evangelical world today, which is the first step in in many discussions when it pertains to how we've changed in our sexual views is we start to question the inerrancy of scripture. And then we go to questioning the authority of scripture to when we, then we go to sort of, you know, redefining what's what's right and what's wrong sexually. Uh, you know then you got the or 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 first you deconstruct then you go to redefining sexuality and then you leave the faith and you almost can see that pattern in many public figures now that have deconstructed or that have changed their view of 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 what it means to you know to be sexually right with god let's just say that and so we've gone from someone who you know like andy stanley's kind of played it out to the t and he hasn't gone all the way yet but but you know, there was his, his series of unhitching the Old and the New Testament. And there was, you know, the, the word of God, like doesn't, you know, that's just the word of God, but that's not who God is. Mm-hmm. Just this morning, I saw a, a solid voice in Christianity that I respect that is still not celebrity, but, 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 but well followed. He's got like 50,000 followers, let's say. And he made the same comment. And I think sometimes we, what his comment was, was remember the word of God isn't God. Hmm. And 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 so I called them out on it and and I think it's important to sort of follow these well, I discussions don't even be- understand what that means. Well, they're saying what Andy Stanley I think did a whole message on which is basically um, like God is bigger than his word, so to speak, which you're right. It's hard to understand it because you are your word, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I show up on a show, I say certain things. You can say, well, I think Lena and you make a list of what you think I am based on the things that I say. So if you, so now you go back to, do you believe the word of God is God breathed or not? And also Jesus is the Logos. Jesus is the Word of God, and yes. so I mean, the Word is God, isn't that what John says? Well, yes, but this is then where some of the, the more progressive Christians would say, "Well, that's what le, le, Red Letter Christianity is—the so only which doesn't make sense again because thousands, you know, hundreds of years, let's say, of of you know how the Bible canon came together and all you know stuff that you know I've studied in college and I've read and it makes sense, but I'm not you know leave that to the to the, the Macarthur's and the Pipers in the world and whoever you know I'm not, but you don't even need to be at that level to understand like. You, the minute you start to question whether the word of God is true, I mean, that's ultimately the question. Do you yeah. really believe the word of God is inspired and, and do you live under its authority? And, and if you do, then you have to embrace what it teaches on all things. Yeah. And Andy Stanley
0: has also called passages about sexual immorality clobber passages. Yes, which I think also speaks to the same point that is trying to separate yes. God's word from God Himself, almost trying to take God off the hook for some of the uncomfortable passages that are in there. Yeah,
1: and also to sort of excuse, sort of again, you go back to this parsing. Well, what does pornia really include? Yeah. And so, you've got a generation of Christians going, Well, the Bible doesn't really teach premarital sex is wrong. Like, I wrote this book where I kind of so, so, so back a few months ago, I it was about, about a year ago actually, I had heard of yet another. So, so we watch Christian leadership, like, this has been the bane of the church's existence. Is it, it Christian leaders have always failed? It's not new, mm-hmm. but it has happened at a more dramatic pace in the last few years, in my opinion, and it's happened with more surprising faces. It used to be the prosperity leaders would, right? I mean, like the TV guys, we grew up, Jim Baker and all those guys, you know, I can't remember all of them, but they were like almost a joke. You could have, have SNL skits on them. But now we're hearing about people that we think like, I mean, Ravi Zacharias is dead now, but I mean, there's a lot. I mean, whether you agree, believe it or not, I believe the stories and from what I can understand. And, and, but, but like that was a shock to the evangelical world because this was a person that most people held to high regard and respected. And there's been many others who would be in that tier of very sound biblical teachers that would teach what we're talking about like not make any bones about the fact that the Bible teaches certain things about marriage and sexuality and purity. And, and I don't even think even the Ravi Zacharias of the world were teaching the purity culture necessarily. I mean, they were just trying to, you know, what we believed when we were alive, they were trying to teach the truth. And yet, again, there was a secret life. And so a year ago I heard about a, a worship leader who imploded. Let's just use that word. What is imploding? It's when your life falls apart due to hidden sexual sin. He had had an affair. And the difference between that story was that this is a person I knew from my old church. And I knew well enough to know that he, while like, this was a person who, and I think again, the mind boggling thing, even with the Ravi Zacharias is that the sexual sin was happening while they were leading in a way that was impacting a lot of lives. You could argue Carl Lentz was that for a while. I mean, Mm -hmm. whether you liked him or not, I mean, his church was Booming! I remember watching him, thinking, "Man, he has such a great way of of expressing the gospel, communicating, and it made you want to go to church." And to, what Christian would say that was a bad thing? Right. I wanted to receive Jesus when I heard him preach. Right? It didn't, ha- it didn't harm that he was very good looking, but you know, and 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 but 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 there was this life, and so this person, the worship leader, was writing songs that moved us, and mm-hmm. yet there was this hidden secret. Yeah. And I this is what prompted me to write to the degree. Is I felt like we can all talk as much as we want to about the rules. You can look at the Bible and say, well, these are the rules. Okay, it's not the rules. It's a life. But let's just say, you can write a book and say, well, these verses say this and these verses say that, and you can get online and, and you could make it all up here. But the problem we have isn't up here in our head. It's here in our hearts. And I felt at that point, that was when I, I sort of, I, we had, my agent is a, went to church where this person was most recently, so he had left the imploding church, went to the other church so that this person was there. And so he, I had confirmed that this was indeed true and that was, because you know, not everything you read on social media is true, but but I had heard about it through social media and then I heard about it in fact, and I was grieved and I was grieved, but then I was convicted because I realized that I myself had dealt with some sexual sin ongoing in my life and which I, again, write about in excruciating painful detail but intentionally because i felt like that's the problem that i was seeing and why i think the millennials and under are correct to be disillusioned with the way that we talk about sex first we back my generation i'm what do you call me i'm a gen x we were the ones who felt pride to the to the culture and so now we were all disillusioned because we're like oh our marriages are bad and our sex lives are bad and and our you know and our and we're not married and we thought that we would be married and, and so you know and then you sort of ha- like you're hurting when that happens I mean you could talk about it intellectually but really this is a human there's a human in, the, in their house who at Christmas don't have anywhere to go who you know what I mean like they're lonely they're watching all the Hallmark movies everybody's marrying and having their great love story and you're assuming that you're the only one who's not and then you've got the marrieds who are going like oh I'm stuck with this man the rest of my life and he doesn't even Know how to approach me, and I'm not an animal. And he like rolls over. I've had patients tell me their spouses have sex with them while they're sleeping, and you could be like, "Well, they're married." No, that's rape. And 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 what you know, like you're like, what is happening to our world? You know, and and so you you sort of have this big question in your mind as like, like the Gen X are sort of. I think we were. We were sort of the beginning of the problem in a way. And then because we were disillusioned, and of course we see it because most of the deconstructioning people are sort of in that Gen X slash millennial, maybe more millennial generation, but the millennials, remember, were taught by who? They were brought up by who? By the Gen Xers. And so all this false teaching, in a sense, that we had embraced of the rules, the fundamentalism has has hurt the millennials who now kind of go like, man, I don't even respect the leaders because look, there's ravi who had the secret life and there's this person that person and and no one ever that to my i mean very few people i don't think it's non-existent but very few people have talked openly about their struggles in this area of sexual sin to the degree that i think can help others and when the ones who do talk it's always again i'm gonna stereotype but it's always that 18 to 30 year old man who struggles with porn who you know ends up getting help however you want whether they get you know so, go to celebrate recovery or and they all sort of hush you know they all talk about it in their small men's small group everybody knows what do men's do in our small groups so They talk about about their sexual sin and then and, and and it's hush hush but then once they get delivered they go oh yeah you see my problem now i'm married and everything is great and yet you look at the statistics in marriage of how many people watch porn in marriage and how many marriages are ending up in divorce and even masturbation in marriage and and you go man is not healthy in marriages and then so so you have a problem that doesn't really go away, that when it's talked about, it's always in a, I've been there, done that, and I'm no longer that. Even the stories of, like, I used to be gay, and I'm no longer gay, now I'm married. You know, like, we laud these stories. There are not that many of them, but the ones that are there were like, oh, look at her, look at him, amazing, God saved them. They changed them. And yet, you know, like, few, some, I mean, I've heard, you know, some who still say they struggle, and then when they admit that, they get crucified by the conservatives. And so very few people are talking about sexual struggle, A, outside of the gay issues, because mm-hmm. it's like almost, again, you go back to that's bad, this is good, you know, sort of, you've made the line, like, it's okay if you have, you know, heterosexual sin is okay compared to homosexual sin. So you can lust against, a, you know, if you're a woman against a man, a man against a woman, but don't lust against someone who's same sex. And yet we've we, that we've landed Christians in 2023 in a world that is highly sexualized. In every way, all the time, everywhere you look,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we are in that now, right mm-hmm. now. You can't. I mean, the average age that a child sees porn is 11, according mm-hmm. to Barna. Mm-hmm. 95% of kids have seen porn by age 14.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, that's shocking when you really think about those statistics. You go, mm-hmm. oh, how did they see it casually? I don't know, but I know it hooks people on. Yeah. And so it's easy to then make sexual sin about, oh, you watch porn, you don't. But it's not that simple, is it? Because we're not even talking about just porn, we're not talking, what is porn? Is Game of Thrones porn? Or is there a story that makes it less porn than something where you're just watching people who are just the XXX, you know, you know what I mean? Is it porn if you read it? Or is it only porn if you watch it? Right. And so you can get into this dark world of, and so then how does a person wake up one day, a leader teaching the Bible, worship, song, worship songs, how can we watch that person wake up one day and implode? Well, it didn't happen overnight. It happened over years of patterns of sexual sin.
0: Last sponsor for the day is CrowdHealth. Maybe in the new year, you are rethinking the health insurance that you have because it's just caused you such a headache this year. It kind of feels like you don't even have health care coverage when you have health insurance sometimes, just with all the complexities and the doctor's networks and all of that. Well, CrowdHealth simplifies health care coverage. It's not health insurance. It gives you the tools that you need to negotiate and crowdfund your medical bills. You pay a $50 membership fee to get access to services like telemedicine and bill negotiation. And then you join the crowd. This is a group of members just like you who want to help pay for each other's unexpected medical events. Uh health insurance is confusing, it's expensive, it's frustrating, but healthcare coverage is not confusing, expensive or frustrating when you switch to CrowdHealth. You can just eliminate the headache of health insurance uh, by joining CrowdHealth. It's $175 for an individual or $575 for a family of four or more and with that you get access to a community of people who are willing to help out in the event of an emergency and you don't have to worry about doctor's networks or anything like that. Let CrowdHealth help with your healthcare needs. Get started today for just $99 a month for your first three months by using code Allie at joincrowdhealth.com. That's code Allie at joincrowdhealth.com. Crowd health is not insurance. Learn more at joincrowdhealth.com. That's joincrowdhealth.com. Code Allie. I do think that we look at sexual sin as just looking at the XXX, uh, you know, porn online, but something that I thought about a lot and that has in the, in the past i didn't think about but i think about high school and college and even after reading certain books even some christian romance Correct. books like redeeming love and things like that that may not have been classified as technical porn maybe it wasn't graphic but it was making my heart lust after something that i did not have. And at the time, you know, in high school and college before marriage, I could not have and made me fixate on, okay, well, as soon as I'm able to have sex in marriage, then I'll be happy. Then I won't have to struggle with this anymore. Then I'll be sin free, at least in this category and this part of my life. And I won't have to worry about sexual sin or anything ever again. That is kind of- how it feels if you and going back to kind of what you said about how we were raised. Well, if you pray for your husband, if you don't have sex, if you wear this purity ring, if you say true love waits, then you will not only get married when you're 22 years old, um, but your sex life yeah. will be perfect. And there's nothing, there's nothing to sex we hear in yeah. marriage except for just being married and yeah. being married. Then everything will come together perfectly. Right. Um, and that's just not necessarily true
1: and yes and i 100% agree with you and i'd even push and say the the second layer of the problem is that when people who have tried to resolve it like let's pick on like sheila gregoire for a minute they want to resolve it by saying i think the focus is often still on the act Hmm. not on the heart and so you know then the problem is well the guy you know, does da? you're in a patriarchal system. You don't, you know, you're supposed, you know, you've believed the lie that you're just supposed to like roll over and you know do it because that's what the conservatives teach. But it's still, the focus is still on, well, you're not happy in, in your, you know, really because you're not serving the guy. So, so like the, the progressives will critique the conservatives as you're, you're believing something wrong. It's, it's about a mutualness, but I think it's deeper than that. And, and I think, and I do agree with you. I think every single person, meaning single, not married, thinks that their problem will go away when they're married. And yet most leaders who have imploded are not single, they're married. Hmm. Do you ever think about that? Yeah. And so, and so even the book, like, you know, the book is not meant for singles or marrieds, it's for both. The book isn't meant for porn watchers. It's really, it's about the, every chapter addresses a why. I am really more, I mean, when I see patients, so I'm, I'm an ER doctor and it, that's my, like I did pediatric ER, but my mind is ER 100% through and through. And when I see a problem, You can treat the symptoms until you're blue in the face. Mm. And you can, again, tell people, eat this, don't eat that. But it's the why that motivates people. It's the why that helps them understand why they're doing what they're doing. Everyone knows, if I stop smoking, I won't get cancer. But tell that to a smoker. I had a patient yesterday who wanted me to call in an inhaler and... She, she couldn't get, we have so many limit on refills in our company, which is legitimate for an online company. And, and I said, you know, you passed that. She I said, she goes, I need an inhaler every time I smoke. I said, I'm sure you've been told this before. Have you considered? And she filled in the blanks. Yes, I'm not going to stop smoking. Okay. And like, you could tell them, like, stop smoking. She knows. It's not a matter of not knowing. Mm-hmm. I think there's plentiful couples in the church who are not married right now, who are living together. Some will even tell you we don't share a bed. That's BS. And by the way, I think there's a lot of married couples who are not sharing beds, which I, again, call me naive. And you I'm not naive. I'm a stinking ER doctor. Like, I've heard it all. I'm Lebanese. I have spent my life in war-torn areas. I've ministered with Syrian refugees. I've heard every story. I'm not naive. And yet, I was, I've been surprised at how many Christian couples don't sleep in the same bed. Hmm. And they blame it on snoring, on... I can't sleep as well. And I don't know. I mean, I, again, that's another conversation. But the point of it is, how then, can, I mean, the whole point of marriage is to build intimacy, connectivity. The whole point of why do singles struggle? Why did I struggle? Why have I, why do I struggle with, with my sex life? Because I think the lie is to say, well, you're not, you don't have a sex life. I and mean, that was an aha moment for me in therapy. I've, in the last five, four years, I've, I've been going to a therapist, started with uh, when I left the church and felt such an emptiness in terms of understanding what had happened. And I think and I therapy is becoming more popular for a lot of reasons. And it's a good thing, by the way. I don't think it's bad. Just be careful who you choose for yeah, a therapist. I was about to say, depending on it's the gonna, kind of therapy you It's going to impact the way that you think. But I think part of the reason why therapy has become important is that we have lost, the, we used to have communities. Right? But the church, I mean, look at the nuns, N-O-N-E, like no one's going to church. People are deconstructing. Like, I mean, I know some statistics say that people are coming back to church. I don't think that's true because I know all my, I have tons of friends who still believe the Bible, still do Bible study, still listens to podcasts. They're listening to your show. But they just, like, if they go to church, it's just a mere, like, we can't not go because our kids. Huh? But you're like, so you don't have a place at church anymore where you can sit with an older woman, let's say, or, and say, here's what I'm struggling with. They're very hard to find those relationships. And I can't just blame the church for that. I mean, this is a cultural thing. We're rushed. We have no margin. We can barely fit everything in. We barely have time for God, let alone other people. And so who do you talk to when you're hurting? I mean, how do you get through life if you don't have, if you're single, which 52% of the church is single? Think about that. of our culture, the same statistics, are in the church, outside of church. So everything is interrelated. So when you write a book about sex, you can't just be like, well, this is just a book about sex. It's a book about everything. It's about what drives us to fill a void in our life, whether we do it by starting an affair with someone, whether we do it by indulging in same-sex thing. I mean, I'll, we'll start a whole other can of worms. I talk about same-sex attraction in the book, and I talk about it in that I think there's a generation, and, and by the way, and I, I have to be cautious in this, only in the reality of the world we're living in, and also my understanding of, my I have a lot of friends that are same-sex, They call themselves gay and lesbian in the world that I, they're not Christians. They're in the world that I live in, in the ER world. And, you know, if you're you're in the world now, you have a lot of people who are, I mean, this is the statistics in our world. So I want to be careful, but I believe with all my heart that there's a generation of Christians growing up now claiming to be gay who simply don't understand this battle with lust. Mm. I don't think that there's enough taught on that, in that. Think about it. You've got, What it, the average age that kids are watching porn is 11. 95% of 14-year-olds are watching porn. You can, and, and in women in particular, studies show that you will be same-sex attracted if you watch porn. Hmm. It's hormonal. Women are driven by story. I have not, it's heard not that. You can't, you're not gay. I don't believe you're gay simply because you have a sexual thought towards another person of the same sex. This is what our culture has taught us. If you have a feeling of sin, if, what we call sin. It is sin, your reality. It is it's your Rosaria well, Butterfield was on your show recently. She's a good friend of mine. She talks a lot about that in her new book and explains it immensely well. Mm. But I think this idea that we Which what, is a
0: freeing reality. I just want to like. Yes. Stop right there that your feel. And Christopher Yuan talks about this too. Yes. Your feelings. One way or the other. Yes. They're not your identity. They don't have to determine your reality. They don't have to determine your future.
1: If you're in Christ, that means your feelings do not own you. Correct. You're not a slave to them. Correct. And when you're in Christ and you're constantly struggling with whatever sin, but now we're talking in a context of sexual sin, and let's say specifically with the, with same sex, which we count as the worst, like Christians count as the worst. Although I don't know, now it's a toss up between transgenderism, you know, like whatever flavor of the, it used to be back in the seventies, it was divorce, right? I mean, it just it goes up and down, but now it's this, but, but when you're living in sin and you can't overcome it because you haven't dug deep to understand why you keep going back to a pattern. It's easy to start to wonder: Am I even a Christian? Mm. Why isn't God changing me? You don't even have. You know, we talk about uh, you know all of the 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 era of when people were going uh, when you when people who had same sex attraction in the church were sent. What conversion? What do you call it? The uh... Um, Conversion therapy, yeah, and yeah. the critique of it, and then all of this discussion. That's what they call but, 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 it. Anyway. But forget about the gay community. Let's talk about like if you're straight and like I am, and and you decide, Lord, I want to be holy. I don't want to, you know, masturbate or I don't want to l- watch this or do this or sleep with my boyfriend or girl. You know, whatever. Like, you know, you have these decisions and you pray and you ask God and you go to small group and maybe you're even years ahead of me. I I didn't, never felt comfortable talking about these things in small groups. I'm more of an introvert. It just felt too much. But let's say you're not that person and you, you're the guy who constantly comes and says, okay, pray for me, I'm, 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 I'm having sex with my, you know, my fiancé and I want to stop because it's not honoring to God, but you keep falling, you keep falling, you, keep falling. you know, it's like, it's so easy then to say, well, is, what can God do if he can't help me in this? Do, do you see where it can become a crisis of faith? So it just never surprised me that I wrote about sexuality after I wrote about deconstruction, because I think, and by the way, many who have deconstructed have very shortly after their deconstruction, had some, let's call it, sexual skeleton in the closet. Now, they no longer call it a sexual skeleton because they deconstructed it and they're no longer holding to a biblical refuge, which mm-hmm. takes me back to that thing, inerrancy, authority, sexual... You know, you, it, it's like it follows suit then. And... And even like, I mean, I've I've watched, you know, I, I mean, it's, you know, I grew up in the era, you know, I kiss dating goodbye, Joshua Harris, but you even watch him and his family and, and without, you know, reading between the lines too much, but you can even read between the lines. I read his wife's biography and, and it's clear that they have some, what Christians would consider skeletons in their closet. You, you, you can see that across the board. And, and, and I, I think i think it's dangerous when we change our view of who god is and what his word says to accommodate our struggle with understanding how to deal with difficult especially sexual relationships in our lives and that's what i think the church has done Mm. and what i've tried to do is a use myself as an example because that's all i can account for is i know who i am and i know what i've struggled with and i've tried and i want to be god honoring but if I can't, and it took me a long time in therapy before I was able to sit with my therapist and say I'm really struggling with this, and even by the time she read the book, there were things I wrote about that I hadn't verbally said. It's easier to write about things. That's why people like the journal. But I, but and I sometimes tell people I know not everybody can afford to the therapist. Just learn from me. Then I paid the money. Learn because it's not rocket science. But you can't. I watched, by the way, I watched Glennon Doyle do that, which was yeah. the the leading voice. Which, by the way. I would be I would love to know the percentage of Bible believing p- Protestant conservative fundamentalist whatever you want to call them people who follow her and love her it's high.
0: Oh it it's is It's very we talk high. talk about Glennon a good bit. I wrote about her a lot in my book too cuz because I, of that. I've read it. And and, yeah.
1: and but but her most recent book it's fascinating cuz she does what I I don't know if you can read her book as a Christian and I don't know that I picked up on it the first read. I read it again because I was writing on this topic. And I, by the way, I think she's a brilliant writer. Yeah,
0: she's and, uh, definitely compelling. And, and
1: the more brilliant you are in communicating, sometimes the easier it is to try to, to kind of convey confidence, yeah. which is also like, like, like blind, like you have to be so discerning. And, but she, she talks about Eve and shame. And she lauds Eve for taking the fruit. Mm. She says, that's a sign of power. That's her inner cheetah, whatever you want. The point of it is, that, and, and I'd say it, I mean, I, you see, but but you could point fingers at her and say, well, how did she come to that conclusion? That's the whole premise of the fall. That's what sets the story of scripture. I mean, yeah. you don't have to believe in Christ. Like it's not mandatory. In fact, Jesus didn't just, he said, he told people often, do not t- go home and think about it. <laughs> like, like this is a big call. You cannot like, yeah. count the cost, count the cost. Are you gonna be able to die daily? If not, like you're not going to do it alone, but there has to be a weighing of what it means to follow Jesus. It will affect every part of your life. He's not a means to an end. He's not your secret to making becoming a celebrity. He's not a person who helps you become an influencer. This has been the, the Achilles heel of every pastor: is this lie that we've believed that we somehow are more valuable if we have more followers, and 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 it builds on that, and and so and so it's easy to point fingers at Glennon and say, well, how does she? believe that. And yet we all have become guilty in some form or fashion, and to some of us to more minor degrees and more major degrees, of of sort of doing the same thing, where we just reinterpret scripture. And I do agree with you that we are doing it at a much more alarmingly fast rate in the last few years. And I think obviously social media is some of it, because you have this, this vortex where people voice opinions and then if you're popular and you're saying, well, then it just takes a life of its own. And, and because I believe it's true that uh, I, I think, I forget who, the guy um, who, uh, there's a guy who wrote a book called Beholding. What's his name? Uh, Strahan Coleman, I think he said it in one of his devotionals. And I think he's right that apathy is no longer our greatest evil in this culture. It's distraction. And what are we distracted? Why are Christians so weak anymore? Well, because you're not reading God's word. Mm. And again, you go back yeah. to, well, God's word is not God. I experience him in nature. Well, no, you don't. You The word is what you just said. It's logos. So how do you can you discern truth from lies if you're not in the word of God?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's easy to think, well, he has 100,000 followers. He must know what he's talking about.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And then you kind of go, and then and meanwhile, you're living with all these skeletons in your closet kind of going, I hope this doesn't come back to yeah. get me someday, but you, you never quite develop the intimate relationship that Jesus wants to have with you, to give you this fullness, this joy, this this perspective of what matters in life. Yeah. Marriage is not our highest good. Marriage is good, but it's not the highest good. A, a good marital sex life is great, but that's not mandatory to be happy in life. There are many people who've never married, many who have had bad marriages, who are utterly joyful and, and happy in life. That's the other thing. We split the happiness is different than joy. Well, who wants to just be joyful? I want to be happy and joyful. Right? I mean, we, we, we're so good at teasing that out, but ultimately, either Jesus is worth giving everything for or he's not. But we have in the United States a man-made religion called Christianity that puts me at the center and Jesus as my genie in the bottle. And we can say that that's all the prosperity people, but really we do it in every level of Christianity. It's the American way. If I work hard enough, eventually I'll reap the fruit. Hmm. And it might work, you know, when you see the immigrants who come from my place of birth and others I mean, why do people are trying to cross the border in the south because there is this such they're not trying to cross the border to canada of course they have to get through the u.s but they could i mean they could find other countries they're not going to argentina why do they want to come here yeah because here we know that if you work hard and you uh, you know try the best you can you will reap a fruit eventually it's true you do and that's not necessarily true in christianity many have died young and unexplainable deaths and have suffered tremendously for the gospel. And I don't know why we think it wouldn't. Maybe our, our suffering for the gospel, it may not be that we get put in jail or, or beat up, but maybe us it's to be canceled. Why is that such a big deal? Yeah. Or to
0: wait for something and to hope for something that yeah. you don't receive yeah. in this life.
1: Yeah. And by the way, that's the thing. You may not get canceled. At least if you're getting canceled, you go, well, it's worth it, right? Because you go, well, I'm suffering for Jesus. It almost yeah. feels like the means are justifying the ends, you know. But what if nothing happens? What if you don't get married and yeah. you never have sex and you do die virgin? Oh my gosh. ha, ah, What? You know, think, yeah. think about it. Like, it's like, but why? So now you go back to, well, why? Why do we constantly hunger? Why? Why are pastors falling? Why? Look at the Cherry Falwell debacle. I remember when I started during COVID, I was listening to, there were so many podcasts about him it's like oh my gosh and now they say well now he says oh i'm not really a christian maybe i don't know is he is i don't know the junior guy Uh, i I hope he is i hope that the lord's at work in his life i pray that he is but that was so like how did we become that
0: yeah we get hung up on that one thing yeah yeah gosh there's so much more i could ask you and so much more we could talk about but We hit an hour, so. We're in an hour? Yes, yes, yes. Gosh, you had so much to say, and that was so great. Um, Your book is Don't Tell Anyone You're Reading This, A Christian Doctor's thoughts on sex shame and other troublesome issues and we're going to link it in the description of this episode and we'll have your social media handles and things like that so people can follow you this is one that you're going to have to listen to twice i think to go back and to make sure that you hear all the points that that she made so interesting and i appreciate your perspective so much um is there any last word that you want to give us
1: You know, I've been lately signing all my books, Jesus is worth it all. Honestly, if I had one last thing to say is that Jesus is indeed worth it all. If you want freedom, you chase him Mm. and and you'll find that he's been waiting for you. He's he's the one chasing us. Yes. Amen. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on.